Welcome to Belonging Before Believing, the podcast where we're very serious and we're shooting a laser gun. Pew, 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 pew. I'm Patrick Mathers, pastor of a far, far away church, Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. And I'm Brian Gumpy, elder, Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. Dude, Star Wars is my favorite. You gave me all my Star Wars movies back, and I'm so excited. I was wondering what inspired that. You're you wearing a what? Star Wars shirt right I'm now. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt, and I don't have Star Wars underwears on, but I have Star Wars pajamas that I have, in fact, worn very recently. And you know what? They're making a Star Wars. I hate Disneyland, but they're making Star Wars land. And a full-on Millennium Falcon, the size of proper Millennium Falcon. Man, I might have to go to Disneyland. Dagon! <laughs> Can you imagine a life-size? Oh. oh, dude, I am titillated. Yeah. And I that 20-minute ride, or 28-minute 28 28 ride? Oh, my God. Join the Resistance or something like yeah. that? Oh, man, I love Star Wars. Hey, hey, oh, I just... One of my super good online, never met him face-to-face friends, love Star Wars. One night I was watching The Last Jedi and live tweeting it, and I said something and tagged Mark Hamill, and then he actually tweeted back, and my buddy John Pierce, who is a missionary in England right now, he uh, tweeted him back, and it was back and forth. It was pretty darn cool, and we were both like geeking out over Mark Hamill tweeting us back. Or liking our tweets or something. I don't remember what it, I'd have to go back and look it up. But hey, if you want to support a missionary, you're just out of the blue like, man, you know what would be really great right now is to support a missionary. That would be great. John Pierce. He, if, you, if you're interested in that, you want to know any information about him at all, hit me up. You can call me, <laughs> just call my cell phone. It's on the website. But then also <laughs> you can email me or text me or find it or just, you know, hit us up in any one of our social media feeds. But if you really are interested in supporting a missionary, he's doing good stuff over there. And I would encourage you to pray about it. Think about it. And if the Lord leads you, let's get you connected with him. Um, good guy. Loves Jesus. And <laughs> loves Star Wars. His email address is Messiah's Jedi. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Messiah's. That's his Instagram feed, too. It's awesome. Messiah's Jedi. Yeah, dude, he's a he's a good guy. So um yeah. Anyways, Star Wars, dude. Star Wars. Star Wars. Why do I like Star Wars so why is Star Wars so cool? Why it's just it's not just like I am, you know, fawning back to a better time when I was a wee lad and you know, it's just out of nostalgia. Cause there's like kids who are really young who like Star Wars too. What is it about Star Wars that grips you instead of Space 1999. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it. Oh, see? But, but I do it, think it's a similar thing. I think it's nostalgia for the kids, too, because their parents got them into it. I'll bet you anything. That's really? what it was for me. Oh. Yeah. But you like it. Yeah. But there's lots of stuff like my dad would sit me down or my grandpa would sit me down and they'd show me these old-timey movies. And, like, you know, I have never been like, ooh, a John Wayne movie. Never in my entire life. What kind of toys did you get from a John Wayne movie? If John Wayne had happened in the 80s, there'd be all kinds of action figures. But there weren't. I know, but I'm just saying. I'm saying that Star Wars hit it right. It was a good movie, and it had all the toys, and it could make multiple, multiple (sighs) movies and iterations of them. You could always make more. 
Ewoks and you can make more <laughs> whatever else. Like, but oh, what's the name of the new one? The the little thing that Chewbacca was gonna eat and then Porg. He, Porg, thank yeah. you. Yeah. They made porgs. Like the there's just like limitless possibilities to create new things. We were talking about when we were doing one of our rewatches, it, the uh, episodes one, two, and three. They did a really good job of setting, and they did a really good job of all of the different like vehicles that they had were really cool in episodes one, two, and three. Even though the movies are a travesty, but whatever. They're not a travesty. Parts of them are awful. Yeah, yeah. Parts of them are amazing. So I was just talking with Arthur last night. We were just talking about Arthur. Um, he sent me a picture of this new Pokemon legendary that's going to be out. And I'm like, oh, dude, that guy looks like the dragon thing that Obi-Wan Kenobi fought in Attack of the Clones. And he's like laughing. Dude, Attack of the Clones gets panned, but it's only because of the love nonsense between oh, Anakin so and Padme. It's so bad. The rest of the movie's really good. It's good. It's a good movie. You're right. The, it's intriguing. It's like, oh, who's really making this clone army and stuff? Oh, it's good. And you hear about the Clone Wars all the way back in, you know, A New Hope, and you think, Clone Wars? What in the world's that? And you finally get to see it. It's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. No? Am I yeah. wrong? No, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's, it's no Rogue One, and it's no Episodes 7 and 8. You like Last Jedi better than the Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. Okay. I do, too, but oh, yeah. I think there's hundreds of thousands of people that would disagree with us. Oh, I'm sure, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I know one who for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure would. Who? Paul. Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you would think that he likes episodes one, two, and three more than four, five, and six. Well, Paul is nothing but contrarian. If he's nothing else, he's contrarian. So even if he really kind of didn't, he would never let you know that. I would say don't add us, Paul, but you should totally add us because it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, dude, I'm winding down on the banter because I'm interested in getting into our question today because it is like i like to say a spicy meatball and paul's definitely going to at us on this topic too that's good Did he he might have even asked this question dude, i'm not I could, sure i'm I not sure where you. i got this question who asked me i this? used to get the questions now you get the questions dude well how i compiled this list like back in october yeah and had it all lined out what week we were going to do and then life got in the way and the fire had to burn paradise, and stuff happened, and... Christmas, Christ you got sick. Jeez, yeah, I know. All right, so the question. If Jesus died on the cross and spent three days in hell to pay for the sins of the world, then why would we have to go to hell ourselves and pay for them again? Oh, <laughs> that's assuming an awful lot. Also, how how are we going to roll this out slowly, or... Yeah. Let's, let's All right. roll this out slowly. I want to put my cards on the table Don't. so no, bad. No, no, no. I let's, won't. Let's roll this out slowly. All right. So what, we're going we're gonna to backdoor this one. We, we, okay. So it starts with if Jesus died on the cross and spent three days in hell. Right. Okay. So the assumption is that he was in hell for three days. <laughs> I love the way you say hell. <laughs> it's not hell. It's hell. Hell. <laughs> Like there's like there's four L's. <laughs> hell. I don't say it like that, do I? Say it. Hell. That time you didn't. Hell. 
<laughs> you don't want it to sound good. Like, hell. Nothing, nothing quite like... <laughs> nothing quite like two pastors sitting in a room saying hell and laughing. <laughs> hell. Oh, my gosh. So many stereotypes have been confirmed. <laughs> uh, hell. We, you were talking about three days in hell. <laughs> okay. When Jesus didn't go to hell to atone for our sins, okay? So when he was on the cross, um, there as he was dying on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments, he is bearing the wrath of the Father, the just punishment that sinners deserve, And because he's God, he was able to bear the sins of all of the people for whom he would save rather than just um, one person or just himself or or whatever. But he was bearing the wrath of God. And when he says it on the cross, it is finished. The atonement was done. The atonement was accomplished. And he had paid for the sins of everybody his death is indicative of the, you know, the phrase wages of sin is death, right? And so he died to indicate that he had been the standby. He had been the substitute for sinners. And then his resurrection proves that his atonement and what that atonement is just a fancy word for him bearing the sins of the world, him standing in your place. So he did that, and the resurrection proves it, that if he hadn't raised from the dead, then we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. So um, when Jesus died on the cross, as he says, it is finished, the atonement was done. So his going to hell was not indicative of him needing to suffer anymore or suffer at the hands of Satan or suffer at the hands of demons. When, When he went down there, he led those who, um, you know, he gives that parable in Luke 16 about those who are in, Jesus uses the phrase, Abraham's bosom. And he takes those people who weren't in heaven yet because their sins hadn't been atoned, but they weren't properly in hell, and he brings them into heaven because now their sins had finally been atoned for. So that just I want to put that out there first, that that's not what's going on when Jesus has died. So, but to pay for the sins of the world. So the real crux of the question, Brian, is why do we have to go to ourselves, go to hell ourselves and pay for them again? Well, I don't plan on it. What's the assumption in there? Uh, That we all go to hell? And that Jesus died for... Everyone. Everybody's sins. Yeah. It's a great question. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. Because it puts the finger right on the problem of modern evangelicalism going out and preaching the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died for every single person indiscriminately in the exact same way and did all he possibly could. And now it is completely up to you. And he, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going, you were 
Finish your thought. And he is up in heaven just waiting, just long, just like, oh, come on, if you just did it, or, or, or the burden's on us, if we just went out and preached to more people, oh, they would just believe more. And, and, it, and everything is now human-centric rather than Christ-centric or God-centric because, hey, God already did everything he could do. Christ already did everything he could do. And now it's all up to you. Patrick Mathers. Yes. Are you saying that Jesus did not die on the cross for every single human being? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> how dare I? How yeah. many? No, honestly. Yeah. How many people's minds did you just completely rock and shake? I don't know. A lot. Yeah, maybe. I. No, Jesus didn't. People sure. who still listen to this podcast, maybe not that many. But if you went into most churches or you talk to most people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you went back and forth and they were in this room to have this conversation, mm-hmm, right? how many of them would push back? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. right. Almost okay. all of them. Uh, almost all of them. But it, and almost all of them would push back based upon tradition. And they'd end up quoting like John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They'd quote that passage, right? Yeah, because all all means all all the time, right? And it's whosoever, right? So, yeah. but the the problem with with that text is it's taken out of context. And just a few verses before, it says the Spirit who applies the redemption Christ bought. He's the one who saves people and he goes wherever he wants to. And it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. And that's how people are born again. And the guy who Jesus is talking to scratches his head going, what? His mind was blown with that too. But Jesus, when he says that God loved the world, it's true. He displays his love to the world. And I was, before I was a Christian, a part of the world. I was made up of world stuff. Um, and God shows his love to the world that Jesus died so that whoever believes the believing ones, there's specificity there. It's not everyone has the possibility to believe that is imported into the text and assumed you assume that's what Jesus is saying because that's the way it's been taught so long, but that's not what Jesus is saying. God so loved the world that the believing ones who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The believers are the only ones that won't perish and have everlasting life. It's it, So anyways, and, and we can go to text after text after text after text and do that same thing and show either the text isn't saying what you have been taught it's been saying or that there is a actual specificity with that text. You want to hear another one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, here. So second, second Peter's one that's thrown out there all the time. Second Peter chapter three, and let me turn page. Here it is. It says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the assumption with that one is, well, you see there, it says, he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wishes that all should reach repentance, right? I mean, that's, that's what it, the words say. How are you going to, you know, twist that one? Well, well that's not. Exa- <laughs> Listen what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, 
as some count slowness, but as patient toward you. Who's the you? Well, in the context of this book, it's believers. And he even uses the word elect. It's the elect. It's Christians. It's saints. It's believers. Not wishing that any, any of who? Any of the you, right. Any of you should perish, but that all, all of who? You. All the you (laughs) should reach repentance. So if you just, you know, James White has a great phrase when it comes to this text, follow the pronouns, right? If you just take the word elect or Christian believers and you follow the pronouns that come from that, you know, origin word, you're going to find a lot of texts make a whole lot more sense. And this is one of them where it does that. So people who do end up, um, sadly, unfortunately in hell, it's because they did not repent. They didn't believe. And I know some people are going to say, well, it's because Jesus didn't die for them. Well, true. That's, that's true. But it's their own unwillingness and rebellion that keeps them from Christ. It isn't Christ somehow strong arming them and they desperately want to get in and they're like, no, let me in, let me in. And he's like, no way. I don't like you. You suck. (laughs) No, they hate God. They don't want anything to do with him. They're in rebellion against him and, and, and they, they are violently opposed to God. They want nothing to do with him. They shake their fist at him. They spit in his face all day long. They, they, their lives are lives that are manifestations of absolute abject rebellion and hatred of God. And God has seen fit to save some of those rebel sinners from their destiny of hell. And God's not obligated to save anybody. Okay. He, he created the world. It was all good. He created Adam. He was good. Adam fell and like it or not, you know, he is our representation. He's the one who, you know, was the perfect, as perfect a man could possibly be was Adam and he fell. And in his fall, he gave us all sin nature. And so that we sinned in Adam and we sin throughout with our actions throughout life. And so we deserve the condemnation of God's judgment. God has been gracious in that he gives salvation to some. So we preach the gospel, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you believe you will be saved. Right? We preach that. And it's not like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth because the truth of the matter is, if you do believe, you will be saved. Because it's not like if you believe that like heaven's at capacity or something like that. Yeah, it's right. Not, it's, it's not that if you believe, like, you're not going to believe apart from God wanting you to believe. You are not going to believe outside of what God has intended. You're not going to believe outside of what the plan is anyway. Why do you think this that we're talking about here is, is really such a stumbling block for people, Brian? Um, because I think what a lot of people would call this is a forced love because that is my absolute Mm. favorite thing that people love to throw around is Mm. love has to be a choice. Love has to be a choice, which we would argue it it's, I mean, you're doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Always, always, always. You can't choose to do what you don't want to do. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. But, but now you want to love Christ. Right. Now you want to love Christ. You did not want to love him at all. When we see these people who are in hell, they're not outstretched arms with bleeding hearts 
They're waving fists. Right. The unfortunate thing with the category of choice like you brought up is it brings God down to the human level Mm -hmm. and it assumes that he's like us, maybe a little better, but he's like us. And so he's obligated to the same kind of feelings and propensities and, and everything that we are. No, he is God. He created you. You breathe because he allows you to breathe his air. You know what's funny about that too, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, is so many of, so, 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 so many of the people who would ascribe to the whole love has to be a choice thing Mm -hmm. are the same people who point and laugh at, you know, these things that we read about in absurd internet articles where there are these parents out there who are asking if a child consents to me changing your diaper. (laughs) What's the difference? Right. There is no, yeah. These people who are saying love has to be a choice. Love has to be a choice. Love has to be a choice. They're the ones pointing their finger and laughing at these absurd, whatever, quote unquote, progressive parents who are making the child decide whether or not it wants to sit in its own filth. Even... So Yeah, so when we think of the category of God, what we have to do is allow God to speak for himself. We can't take our own imagination and our own, um, which I know people who are very individualistic and it's my choice can make up their own God, but they're making him up. It doesn't actually exist. The God that actually exists has defined himself and taught us who he is and shown us who he is. And then he has obligated us to worship him. And he's God. He created us and he can certainly do that. He He's not bound by, you know, any of our wishes and desires. And if we're going to talk about choice, the only one who legitimately has choice is God in choosing whom he saves. He's the one with free will. If we're going to talk about that, he's the one who is free to do what he wants with his own creation. You know, there's that passage in Romans 9 that I love that says, God is the creator. And just like a potter who makes pots, doesn't a potter who have the right to make out of the exact same lump of clay, one super awesome, cool thing to use for like when guests come over, he makes this bowl that's just beautiful and gorgeous and, and fires it just right. It's absolutely, you know, it sits on a shelf until the guests come over. He has the right to do that. And with the exact same lump of clay to make a, a privy pot, you know, or a, a bedpan. Yeah. A toilet make something that's used for, you know, I'm out in the woods camping and I got to go, you know, he has the exact, he has the right to do that with his creation and he doesn't owe us anything. And, and especially because we're not just inanimate objects like clay and bowls and privy pots. We're people who hate God. We are an active and knowing rebellion against him and he's seen fit to save some of those people. It was me. It was you. And I, I'm grateful for it. It makes me worship him all the more. Not because I had got to choose him, but because he chose me. Yeah, I don't know how that would make me worship him more than I do. It look, seems like it would be the exact opposite. When it com- well, look, when it comes to love, let's take it a notch down and talk about just human love. I am so glad my wife chose me. Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't choose her at first, of course, but I wasn't looking for anybody when she came along and 
she will tell you the story. You know, she saw me and was like, yep, it's him. And she pursued me. And I told her, you know, hey, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife. So if you're not willing to say yes to get married right now, then we're done. And that was like, I knew her two weeks. Not advisable, but that's what I did. But she said yes, because she had, she had, for whatever reason, had set her attention and affection on me. And I'm so glad that she did. You know, I don't begrudge her for it. You know, if she were tonight, you know, I come home and we're just sitting around talking and she goes, you know, I, I'm so glad I chose you. I would not in any way be like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, I, you, I chose you. You didn't choose me. How dare you denigrate my freedom? Now, it, it, just to be clear, you're setting yourself up to be God in this scenario or no, no, no. My <laughs> wife is <Okay. laughs> no, but, but God has chosen me and it makes me love him so much because I know how undeserved I am. And to be perfectly honest, anybody who listens to this, no matter how progressive um, their thoughts actually are when they lay their head down on the pillow at night and aren't giving an account to anybody and, th- and are, in their own head, they know how unreasonable it is for them to assume that they deserve salvation. You know, they realize how bad they really are and how bad off they really are. Just like I did, just like I do still, just like you did and you do still, just like anybody who's genuinely a Christian, we know it and we understand it. And we're grateful that God did see fit to choose us pour out all of the wrath we deserve for our sin on Jesus. He willingly took the wrath that I deserve and paid my penalty and died for it. And the spirit now comes and applies that salvation that Jesus earned for me. It has nothing to do with me. It all has to do with God. Okay. So glad that you went there because I don't want the episode to get away from us before we talk about the second half of this. Dun, dun, dun. So if Jesus died on the cross, spent three days in hell to pay for the sins of the world, why would we have to go to hell ourselves and pay for them again? So they're ta- So whoever asked this question, I think, is recognizing something. Double jeopardy. That most evangelicals completely just ignore or don't consider is, yes, this whole idea of double cosmic double jeopardy. Right. It, it makes God unjust. It really does. Yeah. Right. So, and, and the so, person who asked this question totally sees it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm a sinful person. Yes. God goes, or God, Jesus dies on the cross for my sins, pays for my terrible things that I've done, but I don't choose him. Now, did he pay for my sins or did he not pay for my sins in this scenario? In the scenario you're posing, he did pay for your sins. Because he paid for, quote unquote, everybody's sins. He, in fact, paid for everybody, supposedly, yeah. But I don't choose him. So how can I go to hell if he died for those sins? What penalty is left to pay for those sins? He either paid for them or he didn't, right? Right. The, The idea would be, well, he did, and it's a gift now of salvation, and you have to choose to take that gift. And if you don't, well, then you have to pay for your own sins yourself, which is, it's mixing categories, isn't it? You're taking the category of justice and kind of swooping it aside and taking the categories of gift giving and using that as your a way to... Um, way to explain it away. But you can't do that because the whole point of atonement, the whole point of salvation is justice. God 
God is perfectly just. And as much justice talk as there is in the world today, he's the only one who's right in perfect in his giving out of justice. And his justice demands that sin be paid for. So either Christ paid for it or you have to, right? There's no in-between where Christ paid for it all and then you get to too, right? Right? There's none. Otherwise, it's not perfect justice. And otherwise, God is unfair and unjust. And he was unjust to Christ. He was unjust to Jesus by punishing him for sins that are going to have to be punished again later on in hell anyways. So the recipient of unjustness in that scenario isn't the sinner, it's Jesus. Right. And then you have a division within the Trinity, and that's impossible. Because at least this person actually did commit those sins. Yes. Right. What's the point of Jesus dying on the cross for sins at all if somebody's going to be on the receiving end of it anyway? He right. died for no reason. Right. It's completely, completely ineffectual, meaningless. He failed. He failed. He failed to save them. He failed to save them. God's justice isn't met. Jesus pays a penalty. I mean, it's just, you, you create so many categories of Everybody unfairness. loses. Every, every, well, I don't, but everybody else does. Yeah, everybody loses. You're not wrong. Yeah. So. It's sad. So what do we actually believe then? Here's what we actually believe. Because, yeah, just in case people were getting confused there, we just out went all these different directions of something that we, we don't see to be true. God created the world. He created man, Adam. Adam fell. Everybody who is a descendant from Adam is fallen in him. So it means that his sin counts as their sin, and because of that, they sin within their lives. So... In two ways, we're sinners. We sin in Adam, he's our representative, and we sin as we live out our lives. If we're going to be saved, that sin has to be taken care of. It, it has to be paid for. And Jesus lived a perfect life so that when he died on the cross and bore the wrath of God, he bore the wrath of God for all the people in all time past present during his life, and in the future, you and me, for our sins. It's for the believers, only for those who would believe, not for anybody else. So for all of the believers for all time, those that were past, those that were present at the time of Jesus, and all future believers, that's who Jesus paid for. And I can feel people getting disgusted by that because it's so selective because it's not a free-for-all, like a lot of people had it made up in their minds. But again, I'm reminding you, if that's not the case, if he truly did die for everyone and not for a few, then he failed. And can I add one thing? And I'm going to risk sounding a little harsh here, but uh, who do you think you are that you know better than God? I mean, if, if God n not only knew, but picked those who he wants to be saved, and you say that's not fair, then you're saying that you know better than God what fairness is? How dare you? I, I mean, I don't know how else to say that. I don't mean to, to, to sound critical and harsh, but that's what you're saying. And you can't say that. You can't get away with that. God knows what's right. 
He knows what's better than any one or all of the people who have existed collectively put together. And if he has seen fit that it's right and good for him to have brought salvation to humanity this way, then who are you, oh man, to open your mouth against God? And it's a worthwhile observation because we've talked to people who intellectually would understand that this makes the most sense, but emotionally can't get behind it. Right. They say things like, I just don't feel like I could worship a God who would do something like that, even though not only does it make sense, but I see it scripturally. They're not willing to make that emotional concession that God knows better than they do, which ultimately leaves your emotions as your ultimate authority. Right. Yeah. What a scary place that is. Right. At the end of the day, what are you going to (laughs) do? What are you going to do? If you're just basing everything on your feelings, you have to base it on objective facts. And this is what the facts are that the Bible teaches, that God chose those who would be saved Christ came to secure the salvation of those people whom God chose, and the Spirit comes to apply that redemption to those who are His from eternity past so that they would be with Him for eternity future. That's uh, that's the gospel, folks. (laughs) It really is that this is how people are saved, and we have to believe this in order to be saved. So whatever you feel about it, I mean, um, get over it. I mean, buck up. It... (laughs) It, this is what the Bible teaches, and as you know, I, I'm. It, it is it is a struggle, but it should be when we're contemplating the things of God. We shouldn't assume that we're going to have the right and proper conclusions, right? I mean, if we think about it on our own, we need God to inform us what the right conclusions are because we're not God, <laughs> and He knows way more than we do. He is way more powerful than we are, and if He has seen fit to do something then we need to trust him that it's the right and good thing to do. I I can't imagine something of this magnitude being entrusted to me. And not even 30, almost 32-year-old, kind of, sort of, a little bit sanctified me. Like, dead in my trespasses and sins me. I, this is going to be up to me. Things of eternal importance. We're going we're gonna to hang my destiny on my ability to make some decision about what the right thing to do is, about what Almighty God has done on my behalf, and I have to decide. And we think that anybody ever gets that decision right. <laughs> That's arrogant. I, it, right? I, I want no part of that. I'm so glad. Right. Like, I don't feel violated against at all. No. At all. Any more than your petulant little child feels violated against when you change their diaper to go back to that crass analogy. But seriously. Yeah. Yeah, Well, there's a reason why God, um, why Christ used the analogy of born again, because you didn't choose your own birth. If you had chosen your own birth, you would have chosen to be born to some wealthy person, you know, in some really affluent place. Everybody would have had all of the benefits of the best life, you know, but we don't choose where we're born, how we're born, who we're born to. Some people are born in horrible situations and some people are born in absolutely delightful situations. But just like that, you know, 
we aren't a participant in this choice of the new birth as well. It's, it's he's the one who is chosen and he's the one who's seen fit and we can trust him that he does what's right and true. Speaking of James White, um, I like when he says, do you think that when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead and said, Lazarus, come forth, could he have said no? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. No. And even if he could, why would he? Well, even if he could, does that stop the fact that he raised from the dead? Yeah. I mean, he still might say no. I mean, but <laughs> he's saying it because he's alive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the spiritual sense is even more unfathomable yeah. than the, even the physical one. So, so listen, when, when we preach the gospel, Brian, where some people who hear this might say, well, then why even preach to anybody? If Christ already... If they were chosen by the Father, Christ secured their redemption, the Spirit comes and applies it, why even preach the gospel? What do we say to that? It, it's done. It's done, yeah. But, I mean, the gospel is the means to the end. Right, right, right. right. The gospel but uh, but is I'm the saying means. You're, that's a, the most glass half-empty way of thinking of it. Right. It's, well, yeah, you're right. It's not like, oh, like, let's say... 60, 70, 80, who knows numbers, whatever. Let's say 80% of the people who I'm going to preach to are have no hope. Well, I don't know that. Right. And if there's a room of 10 people and eight of them have no chance, two of them do. Two do. And I have a message that brings them life. I am the means by which God has chosen to bring his message of salvation to them. So I can't save all of them. So I'm not going to like go and preach to any of them. Or would I go in there? Like, let's say you had, you were a salesman and somebody told you that there's two millionaires in this room and I need you to go sell like Cadillacs. Would you not go just figure out who those two people, those two millionaires are and pitch to them? Or he's just like, ugh, I'm not going to pitch to a room that has poor people in it. <laughs> like, who thinks like that? Yeah. No, you would go and sell to every single person, and two of them might buy a Cadillac from you. The people who think like that are the people who are emotionally repulsed by the idea that somehow they don't play a part in their own salvation. That's the bottom line. But I want... I want to say openly and clearly, I am so grateful that I don't have any participation in my own salvation. I believe because God has given me the gifts of faith and repentance and uh, when the Holy Spirit came and caused me to become born again. So if you're out there and you think that we all choose everything all the time, well, I mean, first of all, we agree. But uh, <laughs> if you think that our wills have been violated... Um, because Pat and I are a couple of big hairy Calvinists. Um, don't bother feeling sorry for us. Well, this is we're, is it, we're fine. Right, we're fine. Yeah, but this is one of the reasons why we can call our show "Belonging Before Believing" mm -hmm. and be completely okay. I know it's a provocative title. We've I've gotten a little bit of pushback from some people, but the whole point is that you know th this is why we say Funny what thing we do. Is, I feel like they're all Calvinists who they like are. push back, yeah. which is hysterical because they should be the most open minded <laughs> to it. That's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Hey, do you want a, a funny question of the day? Yeah. Okay. So I got this one. I think we, did we do one where what problem on a sitcom did you think would be? 
I feel like we've talked about it. I don't think we've recorded it. We don't? I don't we think haven't? we have. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. So, I, I okay, don't... Okay, wait. The question is, yeah. what is a problem that a sitcom or a movie ha- had in it that you thought would be really common, but then you grew up and found out it wasn't? Oh, a sitcom or a movie. Okay. Or so a TV this, show, whatever. The, yeah. Well, yeah. no. So, one thing that I've... I think I've seen it on Twitter or something. Mm-hmm. Where it's not a sitcom or a movie, but it's like your upbringing, what you were taught as a kid. And the answer that somebody gave uh, was stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> like, that you'd have to be doing that all the time? Ca- apparently catching on fire is very common. <laughs> so you really need to know stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. So I got a couple. One is a life experience one that there would be a whole lot more people trying to give me free drugs. Yeah. <laughs> that did not happen almost ever. Almost ever. There's a point in my life where I was looking for those dudes. <laughs> like, just go around and get the free ones. You couldn't find them. Like the Costco of the dealers. Where's that at? Free samples. Yeah. Okay. But one from a sitcom is it's like every 80s sitcom had an episode where somebody had to watch a pet of some other character in the show, and that pet died. And they had to go to the pet store and find one that looked exactly like it in order to replace it because they couldn't just bear telling the truth. I think probably just like so many catastrophes happening when your parents were gone. Like your parents would leave, (laughs) and then all of a sudden your friend would like, crash their car into your kitchen or just, and you got it and you somehow got it like almost fixed before your parents got home. (laughs) They were like gone for the day and you remodeled the kitchen. Uh, Like that one was my parents were gone all the time too. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Anyways, those are some R's. What, what do you, what do you have? What's uh, something that that life taught you either via entertainment or just life experience or public service announcements that you thought was going to be way bigger problem, but turns out as an adult, yeah, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even want to dress it up and say anything else before it, except we believe that you belong. <laughs> <laughs>